Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. And you can find it on page 957 if you're using uh, the Bible in the pew in front of you. Or if, you've, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those, the black um, book there in the pew in front of you. So if you could turn there, we're going to read our text for study this morning, for the sermon this morning, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27. And if you wouldn't mind joining me in honor of God's word and standing as I read. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, verse 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so if you're visiting with us or if maybe you've missed um, a week or two, uh, about four weeks ago, we started a new series called Renewing Disciplines. Um, The title has a dual meaning. First, the spiritual disciplines, for most of us, oftentimes need renewing. They can need renewing on a weekly basis. Um, certainly at the beginning of the year, it's a time where you're renewing different disciplines. Um, certain things can be relegated to the back burner, and so we need to get them front and center again. Um, also, spiritual disciplines that need to be renewed, they are renewing. They actually renew us as we practice them. And so, thus the dual meaning to the title. So, Pastor Tyler taught on prayer Spiritual discipline of prayer, discipline of prayer um, on December 28th from Matthew 6. Um, Alex Kirk on fasting, spiritual discipline of fasting, also from Matthew 6. And then a couple weeks ago, I taught on giving from the rest of Matthew 6. And then last week, we talked about feeding on the Bible, reading God's Word, meditating on it, memorizing it, and living on this food for our souls Um, that discipline from Psalm 19. And so this week, we've got two more weeks, I think, to the series, this week and next. 
Spiritual discipline this morning is evangelism. And then next week, it's corporate worship. Gathering together like this um, is the last one. So I wonder what you think of evangelism as a spiritual discipline. You might be one of those people that say, you know, you know what, evangelism is really not my thing. I'm kind of a preach the gospel, and if I must, if you must, use words type of person. Or talking of evangelism as a spiritual discipline might have all kinds of negative connotations like images of kind of a canned, forced, creepy, like I got to go door to door sort of thing. Get on my bicycle with my you know, tie on and go talk to people. I mean, I can understand those concerns, some of those emotional kind of inhibitions to evangelism. I'm often afraid of what people are going to think of me if I try to tell them about Jesus. They might put me in the category of the, the intolerant bigot, the people that kind of twist people's arm, emotional manipulation, you know, some of the stuff you see on TV, the knock at the door. No. Here, here's what I am talking about. I've said this before, but I wonder if we really live this way. Um, you know that people praise what they enjoy, right? You praise what you enjoy. You and I, we're all evangelists for what we really love and value because we love to commend those things to other people. So it might be a movie that you saw or a TV show that you're into or a video game that you like or a recipe that you tried. And so here's the, whole, here's the thing. Have you ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good? <laughs> like, have you ever just been so thankful and blown away that you, a rebellious sinner, could be saved by God's incredible mercy and grace and you taste that grace and you can't help but want to tell other people because you want them to taste it too. I think those are some of the connotations we should have when we think of evangelism. Or you could think of it this way. If a house is on fire, if your neighbor's house is on fire, is it, is it uh, pushy to throw a rock through their window or to bang on the doors to make sure that they're up and out of the house? If the plane is going down, is it pushy to make sure everybody's got a parachute? If people are starving and trying to satisfy their hunger on stuff that isn't food, isn't it loving to offer real food and drink? Soul food, okay? So that's what evangelism is, isn't it? But oftentimes it doesn't feel that way, right? So that's why we need to discipline ourselves to be intentional to reach out to people. Because you know what? If... If we're following Jesus, if we're seeking to save the lost like he did, following in his footsteps, we're going to need to move toward people. And you know what? We're busy. And we're selfish. And we want to preserve our own comfort. So if we're going to get out of that comfort zone and move toward people, we're going to have to discipline ourselves for the sake of love. Right? So, we need the Spirit of God to swim against that current, to die to that selfish kind of turned in compulsion that's in us that's so strong. Okay, if, if we as a church are really going to shine brightly in this community, if we're going to love our neighbors well, if we're going to be bright lights at work and in, in our schools and in our neighborhoods, 
It's not going to be some silver bullet program that we run here. It's going to be you and me really transformed internally and being really intentional as we walk through our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you are familiar with that name, um, pastor in Germany that kind of pushed back against um, the Third Reich and ended up dying for it. He said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. So the Apostle Peter said it this way, we were saved, we were called out, made a new people so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if we know how marvelous it is, don't we want other people to to be rescued from the darkness and to live in his marvelous light? So where is the world going to be? Where's our community going to be if the church has nothing to say? What if we have no good news? You're not going to get good news on the news. <laughs> if the church doesn't have any good news, no hope, no light to shine, no light to shed on the confusion and the darkness and the questions, then where's it going to come from? Is evangelism just for the, the crazy missionary types like the Apostle Paul? No. But here's the point this morning. The crazy missionary types like the Apostle Paul are models for us to emulate. No, we're not going to do life exactly like him, but he still was a model for us. So he actually sets himself up as a model to emulate in the text that we read just a few minutes ago. So turn back there to 1 Corinthians 9, and we're going to look at um, this passage. There's a little insert in your bulletin that's got um, the outline. You can follow along that way if you want to jot some notes down. The uh, points will also be up here as we go along. So first, in verses 19 to 22, we see that Paul is a servant of all. He's speaking about his own life as he writes to the Corinthians. And here's what he says. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Do you see the flow of thought there? Verse 19, look at it there, lays out the main point. I'm free from all. I have willingly, voluntarily made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Then verses 20 to 22 unpack that more specifically in relation to the reaching out to the Jews, reaching out to the Gentiles, reaching out to the weak. We'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. And then the end of verse 22 summarizes the main point again. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Okay, so hopefully you see the flow of thought there. Now let's look, let's zero in a little bit. Look at verse 19. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So Paul's saying, I'm free. I'm not beholden to anyone except Jesus. 
He's not subject to anyone but Jesus. Again, he's not anybody's puppet. He's not anybody's lackey. But that freedom that he has doesn't lead him to live selfishly for his own comfort, for his own advantage. He's following Jesus. He's all in. Jesus laid down his rights and his freedom in order to serve us, in order to save us. And Paul is following in those footsteps. Paul's laying down his rights and freedom as well in order to save others. He says it there in verse 19, I've made myself a servant to all. Why would you do that? I mean, who does that? Who consciously, intentionally wants to be a servant to everyone. You'll just get run over. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you willingly serve all kinds of people? Well, he says it there, that I might win more of them. So do you hear the echoes? If you're familiar with the Gospels, if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, there's, there's strong echoes here of the, the teaching in the life of Jesus. Turn back to Mark chapter 9. So keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 9 and flip back to the gospel according to Mark. If you're using that pew Bible, you can find it on page 845. His disciples needed to learn this lesson. Do you remember this? Look at verse 33. So big number 9, little number 33, page 845. Jesus had just said, hey, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to kill me. And after I'm killed, after three days, I'm going to rise again. The disciples did not understand what he was talking about. They were afraid to even ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? (laughs) But they all kept silent because they were embarrassed. Because on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They're jockeying for position. And Jesus sat them down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, flip a page to Mark 10, 42. Actually, two pages, 847 there at the top. And Jesus called to him, And said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's how they do authority. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? Because even the Son of Man, the greatest man to ever walk the earth. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's why Jesus came to serve us, to save us, to give his life in our place on the cross. All we bring to the table is our sin and guilt and shame. We, don't, we can't commend ourselves to God. We can't earn his favor So Jesus died as a ransom in our place to pay our debt, the debt of our sin, to serve us. He's the king. He deserves us 
to serve him. And he says, I, I don't need your service. You need my service. I'm going to die in your place so that you can be rescued as a ransom for many. And when you are served like that by Jesus and saved and rescued, what happens is it so secures you. You know who you are. You don't have anything to prove anymore. And then you can be a humble servant and lay down your life for everybody and anyone. You don't have to, you don't have to protect your, your pride and your reputation and whatever. So Paul, he gets this, which is why he's saying, I'm a servant to all. He's the, this great apostle Paul. Oh, he's the greatest of servants, servant of all. And the one who is the servant of all is most eminently qualified to be the leader, to be imitated. And that's why Paul's laying out his example, not to boast, to say, hey, I've got it all together. No, instead, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay? So again, that's verse 19. That's kind of like the whole point of this text in a nutshell. This is the what. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. This is the what, servant of all. That's what the discipline of evangelism looks like. You can imagine that's going to cut against the grain of our souls. We're going to have to work at this, aren't we? <laughs> By God's grace. Well, verses 20 to 22 unpack that point, that point in verse 19, with more specificity, okay? So look at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. What is that all about? What's, what's he talking about? So do you see how this follows the pattern of verse 19? And it unpacks verse 19 very clearly. He's free from all, but he's willingly made himself the servant to all Jews, those under the law, those outside the law, the weak, that he might win as many as possible. Look at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews, and to those under the law I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. Have you ever noticed that this is like a crazy, weird, interesting thing that Paul says? Paul just said, to the Jews I became as a Jew. Anybody see how that's a little bit strange? What was Paul's ethnicity? He's a Jew. What in the world? Uh, Paul, you are a Jew. <laughs> Why do you need to become as a Jew? Of course, Paul is still Jewish, but there's something that trumps his Jewishness now. Christ-likeness. This is really significant. Later on, when he writes another letter, our 2 Corinthians in our Bibles, in chapter 5, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, you know what? Jews, they keep kosher, don't they? Paul knows Jesus declared all foods clean. Jews do no work on the Sabbath. Paul knows that he can rest in Jesus and be very active 24-7. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest, Sabbath rest, 24-7 for your souls. Jews keep certain festivals and holy days. Paul knows that they're just days and customs. 
So he's free from keeping the law in that sense, being under the law in that sense. He knows he doesn't need to keep any of those laws in order to gain or maintain God's favor. He's been justified and accepted by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. So he's free. Paul's free. But if he's going to reach Jews, if he's going to lovingly tell Jews that Jesus is their true Messiah, he is not going to walk into the room with a piece of bacon in his mouth. Oh, come on. Are you awake? (laughs) What's wrong with bacon? It's fine. Jesus declared all all foods clean. I'm free. Well, that freedom is true, and that knowledge is true. But guess what? That would be profoundly unloving. So he disciplines. I bet he liked bacon after he started eating it. Um, Who doesn't like bacon? He would discipline his body for the sake of love that he might win the more. He wants to win Jews. He's not going to flaunt his freedom at the expense of loving his Jewish neighbor. He'd rather make himself a slave than his Jewish neighbor continue in his slavery to sin. He wants to free that that brother or sister. And so he's willing to die to his freedom. Same pattern goes for non-Jews. Look at Um, Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, I'm not a maverick or an outlaw. I'm under the law of Christ, but I do it that I might win those outside the law. So Paul can be flexible precisely because he's free. He's a Christian first and foremost, Not, not a Jewish Christian, and for us, not an American Christian. Like sometimes there's American trappings And we need to, sometimes this can be helpful to meet people from different cultures because we realize we've kind of added some American stuff in to our Christianity. And that stuff needs to be set aside so that we can reach all kinds of people and we don't just give them an American version. Okay? So Paul can be flexible precisely because he's free. He's a Christian. First and foremost, that's his identity at the core even deeper than his Jewishness, though he is glad to be a Jew. So he's very flexible in how he can hang out with all kinds of people in order to tell them about Jesus. So when he's in Gentile territory, he can go to a Gentile's house and not think he'll be ceremonially unclean, right? When meat that was sacrificed to idols, back then that was pretty normal, was put before him, he can eat it with a clean conscience if he's at those folks' house in order to tell them about Jesus, that meat would have been considered, oh my word, don't even touch it with a 10-foot pole when he was a Pharisee. Unclean. So this freedom doesn't mean that he's lawless, okay? It doesn't mean that he can be an outlaw. You see those parentheses there, that parenthesis there in verse 21. He's not outside the law of God. Law of God is all about loving God and neighbor. That's the whole point of this. He's under the law of Christ, so he's a free slave. Christ is his master. And what did Jesus do? He ate with kosher Jews in order to preach the gospel of the kingdom. 
and he ate with unclean Gentiles and sinners in order to preach the gospel of the kingdom. That's why he got the reputation of being a glutton and a drunkard. Look now at verse 22. This is the last category Paul gives to unpack his servant to all statement. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. So what does that mean? Physically weak? I I quit going to the gym for a while so I could really reach out to, to all those sissies, you know? No, that's not what he's saying. Make, actually, make a note to read in one sitting. This afternoon would be a good opportunity for that. 1 Corinthians chapters 8 to 10. It's one section, and it all hangs together. And you'll see what week is referring to in chapter 8 especially. Let me give you a quick little summary here. In ancient Greco-Roman cities, the worship of the gods and goddesses of the pantheon, very strong. Okay, so Corinth was no exception. In fact, it was like the poster child for this. The temple to Aphrodite was there at the center of life, in a sense, for the Corinthians. So in these temples, there were sacrifices made, and the meat from those sacrifices were served at a meal there, and then there was oftentimes temple prostitution that was engaged in among other things, after dinner. Okay, so sacrifices to Aphrodite, supplies the meat for the meals and after dinner activities, X-rated. That was worship there. In the sacrificial system there, more meat was sacrificed than would be eaten at those temple meals, so the rest was sold in the meat market. So imagine Paul comes in, he's preaching the gospel in Corinth, and people start to become Christians, and they start following him, And this is their background. So imagine a guy that used to frequent the temple, eat the meat, smell the incense, engage in the sacred sex. Imagine he hears Paul, he he gets saved, becomes a Christian. Do you think that guy is going to maybe have a hard time eating that meat sold in the marketplace for a while? Maybe even for the rest of his life? Because it's going to be really hard to separate the meat from what went on when he used to eat it. Does that make sense? Is there anything wrong with that meat? Well, yeah, it was sacrificed to an idol, but what's an idol? Nothing. Paul Paul argues this way. I, I know. I know. I've got knowledge. I understand what you're saying. But this weak category is very real for some of your brothers and sisters, and you need to, in love, be deferential toward them not cause them to stumble, okay? So his conscience is weak. He's free. Paul's free to eat that meat. He could go to somebody's house that he's trying to tell about, you know, tell them about Jesus. They put before him meat off, sacrificed to an idol. There, there's no, like, poison in the meat because it was, because an idol is nothing. There's no real God. Paul serves the, the, the true God. So to those outside the law, He can be as one outside the law to win those outside the law, okay? But when he's around these weak folks, he would never do that because he wouldn't want to cause them to stumble. Skip down, actually, because this reasoning is, is repeated powerfully. Like I said, chapters 8 to 10 is one section. So skip down to chapter 10, verse 23. See, the Corinthians were pushing back on Paul. 
And they were being selfish and kind of fighting for their rights rather than living selfless like Paul and like Jesus, laying down their rights for the sake of love. So the Corinthians loved to trumpet their freedom. All things are lawful. Look at verse 23. You see how it's in quotes? So this is one of their mottos. All things are lawful. See, we're free in Christ. But Paul says, yes, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, yes, but not all things build up. So the Corinthians like to trumpet their freedom. Come on, what's wrong with it? I'm not going to let someone else's hang up, someone else's weakness keep me from my freedom. The Christ-like Pauline heart of a truly free servant is I will become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. I don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. I'll set aside those rights for the sake of love. And look at what he says in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. That's what drove Jesus. That's what drove Paul. It's what should drive us. So again, remember that temple background, what it means to be weak. And listen to this quote um, by New Testament Scholar N.T. Wright. No eating in temples then. Now he says you may buy and eat anything sold in the meat market. This is from back in chapter 8. That's the difference, as one writer recently put it. It's the difference between venue and menu. The place is off limits, meaning don't actually go to the temple to eat this meal. But the food isn't off limits. So eat in a pagan temple, Paul would say no. Eat what's sacrificed, you know, if somebody, if you go to somebody's house and they put it, sure. Eat it and cause your weaker brother to stumble? No. Eat it at the home of a Gentile who serves it for dinner? Yes. Okay, do you see? Because if you read chapter 8, it might be a little confusing if you don't understand some of that background and what Paul is saying yes and no to. And it's all driven by the good of your neighbor and loving your neighbor, not causing them to stumble. So look at verse 31. Maybe this will mean a little, little more in context now because we oftentimes rip this one out. So whether you eat or drink, he's not just talking about generic eating and drinking. He's talking about this kind of stuff, temple stuff. Whether you eat or drink, whether you eat things that had been sacrificed in the market or not, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. (laughs) Do you think we might need to discipline ourselves to have this kind of heart? Man, that cuts against the grain of our our selfish, self-seeking souls. Give no offense to Jews, to Greeks, to the church of God. The gospel is offensive because oftentimes people just don't want to swallow their pride. I don't need somebody to die for me. I'm better than so-and-so. I'll get in. No. So, yes, the cross can be offensive, but we don't need to add to that offense. We don't need our personalities or insensitivity to add additional offense. So that's what Paul's talking about here. Give no offense to Jews, to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, all things to all people, not seeking my own advantage, but seeking the advantage of many that they may be saved. You see the pattern again? Just like verse 19. I'm free, but I make myself a slave to all, giving no offense, trying to please everyone and everything, 
Not because he's like this insecure, like, oh, I got to keep everybody happy. I got to keep, no, 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 no. He's just, I want everybody to know Jesus. I want everybody to know Jesus. Not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many that I might win the more of them that they may be saved. So Paul is able to flex and reach out to all kinds of people because he doesn't belong primarily to any of those categories anymore. He's a Christian. Paul also has to flex because he wants to win people in all all kinds of categories. So I I think, uh, this is not my notes, this might be dangerous, but this, this would go so far toward the church being the church as far as unified diversity. Why is the church so segregated and divided over so many different lines, racial, socioeconomic, everything? Because rich Christians don't get along well with poor Christians, and black Christians don't get along well with white Christians, and white Christians to black Christians, and all this kind of stuff, because we're too much the adjective and not Christian. If we died to that stuff and we were new in Christ, and that was the main thing, it would be easier to be unified despite all the differences. We need to discipline ourselves, ask for grace to grow in this so that we're more flexible. I mean, this is all about Jesus. Talk about someone laying down rights to identify with the ones he came to save. He identified with us sinners in the extreme. That's why at the end of this section, it's actually not just 8 to 10, chapters 8 to 10. It's 8-1 to 11-1. 11-1 says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, little, little caveat, little qualify here. We, we've got to guard against chameleonry. There are limits to the flexibility. Okay, You don't ever compromise in the effort to contextualize, right? Paul never became a chameleon. He didn't stick his finger to the wind. Let's see, what's popular so I can get lots of people in the door? He didn't try to tell people what they wanted to hear. That's not the flexibility that Paul's talking about here. If you have read any of the other books that Paul writes, you know that he's not afraid to say it straight up and You know, if it offends you, it offends you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. But that being said, I want to focus on the fact that Paul is calling us, you and me, not just the Corinthians, this is God's word, calling us to be servants of all. This is going to go against the grain of our souls. We're going to have to discipline ourselves to be focused on others in all that we do. We are so spring-loaded to think of ourselves first. We want to be first, just like the disciples So, isn't this appropriate? How appropriate that Paul follows verses 19 to 23 with verses 24 to 27. You see that? He's basically saying, I can't be driven by selfish appetites and comfort and my own, you know, being first. My body has to be my slave if I'm going to be slave of all. Do you see how spiritual discipline for the sake of evangelism, for 
the sake of reaching out. My body has to be my servant, not my master, if I'm going to serve all people. So what does it mean for our life, our relationships to be governed by mission, Jesus' mission, following Jesus? What will that look like? Well, for Hudson Taylor, however long ago that was, 150 years ago, coming into the inland of China for the first time to reach these people, he ended up taking on the, the, the kind of customary clothing and, and shaving his head and having the long, dark ponytail. And people in Europe were just like offended by that. No, he's, he's trying to say, I'm, I'm here. I'm one of you. I am here for you. I don't want anything to get in the way. I don't want you to think you need to become European to follow Jesus. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's interesting. I'm, that's why I'm quoting him here. Um, I'm reading the biography by Eric Metaxas. And it was interesting that early on, after he got out of his graduate school and whatnot, he went to Spain um, as like a, an assistant in a church. And in Germany, he was from this high, higher class family, um, very industrious, rigorously intellectual and all this stuff. And he was, you know, really driven. Got to Spain, everybody's like chilled out there. And it, like the leisure culture really bothered him. And you know what? He intentionally embraced some of that leisure culture, which you can imagine would go against the grain of his soul. Precisely for the sake of pastoral opportunities to love and get to know and share Christ with people. Or it could go the other way. You could be from some, you know, chill out, whatever, and you move into New York City and everybody's driven and you're like, okay, if I'm going to reach these people, I need to. So, I mean, it's funny. Younger generation, um, yeah, speaking to everybody, we all need to flex. But it's interesting, my generation and below There's a little bit of a movement towards cities, which is a good thing, and Christianity in some pockets is becoming a bit more hip, okay? Which is, okay, whatever. We need to reach the hipsters in the cities. So wear some skinny jeans, great. But where are the Christians in cities that are getting called to the cornfields in Iowa. And if you got called there, would you potentially grab some suspenders for the sake of the glory of God and the good of those people? I'm not saying that to pick on anybody. I'm Because actually, people that you might think that was targeted as, I've had really good conversations with and they, they, they understand and they're on the same page. I'm using that as an example to say we all should be missionaries and think, this is my culture. How do I get stuff out of the way so that I can reach the people around me? Are we willing to make ourselves servants of all? Why would you do that? Well, point number two, why? Verses 19 to 27 again. And all I'm going to do for this point is read through the passage and emphasize all the whys because it's repeated like a bunch of times. So just listen. That's the what, servant of all for the sake of winning as many as possible. 
And that's not a weird notch in the belt sort of thing. That's, I am a poor beggar that's been given bread and I want to share it with somebody, others who are hungry. They don't even know they're hungry. So why would you do this? Why would you go against the grain of your selfish soul in order to reach others? Look at it here. Verse 19. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant of all. Why? That I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable reward. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest I myself be disqualified. It's pretty clear. Is that motivation driving you? Do you want that at all? I hope that we would at least say, yes, I want that. And Lord, you're going to need to work on these desires so that I'm really focused and willing to be a servant of all. Spiritual discipline. So how do we do this? How do we make ourselves servants to all for this purpose of winning as many as possible? Look at the how, point three. Look at verse 24 to 27. Um, like I said, it's just spiritual discipline of evangelism. Very interesting that 24 to 27 follows 19 to 23. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run. Corinthians, people at Bethel, everybody here. So run that you may obtain it. Okay, this is a, already a command to imitate him, even before he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So if human rewards, I mean, I just think of the Olympics. Have you ever heard those little vignettes during the Olympics? And these people talk about all that they've done, all the, all the sacrifices they've made, and I haven't eaten dessert in nine years, and, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff in order to get a, get, stand on that, pedestal, you know? If they would do that kind of discipline for the sake of the reward, if that gain is worth that much pain, how much more this gain should call forth our willingness to discipline ourselves, to endure pain. So Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I'm not just doing this, you know, because I'm bored. I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I make it my slave. Better translation of keep it under control. Lest after preaching others, I myself should be disqualified. Look down again at verses 24 to 33. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone. I try. Effort. To please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So 
Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus is the example par excellence of this pattern. If anyone has accommodated to win the many, it was Jesus. He could have come and demanded our obedience. He's the king of kings. But instead, he came as a lowly peasant and he willingly embraced the shame to identify with us. He stood in the line of sinners. Do you remember that? And was baptized by John the baptizer. He ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. And there was all the, you know, talk. That's why they called him a glutton and a drunkard. He touched lepers. He went to the well to talk to the Samaritan woman, risking his reputation. And yet, he also did things like this. He told the lepers that he healed to go show themselves to the priest. In a sense, he kept the law. As a testimony of them, he told Peter to pay the taxes. We don't want any unnecessary stumbling blocks. You see? No unnecessary offense. So you can see how Jesus accommodated as the messenger without ever compromising the message. Paul did the same thing. And if they did, we should. Okay, so the question is how? Well, let's just work backwards up through the text here. Follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is the fountain of all of this. You see how he accommodated and identified with us to save. What if he had been focused on his rights and advantages? We would all be toast. But listen to how Paul reasons in Philippians 2. Just listen to this. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Same thing he's saying in 1 Corinthians 9, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he's equal with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to and used to his own advantage, but he emptied himself of those rights by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then Paul's example. And then us imitating Paul as he imitates Christ. So we need to discipline ourselves away from selfishness and, and to others-centeredness. And it's worth it. It is worth it. The, the gain is worth the pain. Servant to all kinds of people. So what does this look like? Well, maybe you have a vegetarian neighbor. And maybe you love red meat. And you need to have that neighbor over. You're going to ask them if they're allergic to anything. You're going to ask them what they like to eat. And you're not going to serve any meat, right? It's pretty simple. Maybe you have a Muslim coworker. Of course, if you ever had them over or if you start to eat lunch with them, maybe you change what you put in your lunch pail. You're not going to put any pork in there. If you have them over, it's going to change what you offer them. Maybe you have an Indian friend. You wouldn't serve beef. Okay? And we push back on some of this sometimes. It's like, why should I worry what these people think of me? Because they need Jesus. 
all things to all people. Why should I care? There's lots of other practical hows, and we can work some of that out in our home groups today or later this week whenever you meet. But there's so many ways to get practical as to the how. What does it look like to discipline ourselves for the sake of intentionally reaching out to our neighborhood, our workplace, in our family, extended family, maybe sports or hobbies, maybe do you frequent the same places and are you intentionally friendly and open about who you are and why so that you get to know people so that you can reach out and love them in Jesus' name and tell them the best news in the world? So, last point, renewing and being renewed. Some of you just might be cringing somewhat at a sermon about evangelism. Like, you don't even want to think about what, how God might want you to respond to, to this message, this text. And make sure you tie it to the text. This is not my words. This is God's word, right? So you are so petrified of evangelism that you're just closed off to responding. You just hope that I hurry up and quit so that, you know, you can just start talking and forget about this one because it's just uncomfortable. Well, first off, we should examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Are you ashamed of him? If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Your reputation dies. Some people might think you're nuts. If you're ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you. So I think that's worth considering. Let's not have any token Jesus. All or nothing. Like, are you in? This is serious stuff. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, how are you sitting here? Are you resisting this? Are you stiff-arming the conviction? Or do you want to be changed? Do you want to be strengthened? It's scary. It's risky. It's costly. But you know what? I, I want to grow in this, regard, in this regard. I want to break out of the patterns of, of being enslaved by fear and always passing up those opportunities that the Lord throws in front of me. Maybe... maybe do you just think if, if this is what the Lord is saying to us this morning, he might know where we're at and he might want us to just cry out to him and he'll give us strength and grace to get over the hump? Every disciple is called to make disciples. Do you believe that? You don't have to be good at this to believe it. I'm not good at this. We're not good at this. Okay, <laughs> let's just seek to grow in this. Guess what? We're not good at prayer either. Doesn't mean we should shy away from praying, does it? We're not good at fasting. Anybody enjoy that? We're not good at glad and generous giving. We're not good at consistent, hungry Bible study and meditation. <laughs> okay, what else is new? And we're not good at evangelism. All right, there's grace for us. That's why we're doing this series, Renewing Disciplines. 
So what does this mean for us? It means we need to pray and practice. Practice and encourage each other in the process. It means that we discipline ourselves for the sake of Christ-likeness, for the sake of growing in these disciplines, growing in our ability to engage with people and tell them about Jesus, not so there'll be notches in our belt, but because we long for other people to know the forgiveness and the freedom and the love and the security and the hope and the future that we know. Because the gain is worth the pain and the effort. Let me close with, with this. Um, brief story and then one really practical thing that we're doing here in the coming weeks. Um, David Brainerd was a missionary, um, lived 300 years ago or so. Um, Jonathan Edwards, he actually died in Jonathan Edwards' house at the age of 29. Um, but he was a missionary to some Indians, okay? And John Piper wrote this summary um, about his life. He writes, I close by stating that the most lasting and significant effect of Brainerd's ministry is the same as the most lasting and significant effect of every Christian's ministry. There are a few Indians, perhaps several hundred, who now and for eternity owe their everlasting life to the direct love and ministry of David Brainerd. Some of their stories would make another chapter a very inspiring one. Who can describe the value of one soul transferred from the kingdom of darkness and from the weeping and gnashing of teeth to the kingdom of God's dear son? If we live 29 years or if we live 99 years, would not any hardships be worth the saving of one person from the eternal torments of hell for the everlasting enjoyment of the glory of God? That's why we would take pains to give that gain to others and to be a part of it. I don't think any of us, if you've led somebody to Christ, have you ever thought, man, I really regret spending so much time talking to that person about Jesus. What a waste of time. No, never. So, Bethel, is this worth working at? To pray that the Lord would change us and grow us Join us on Wednesday nights, 7 to 8. We're going to actually focus on revival in the next several weeks. What is revival and how do we pray for it and what does it look like? Um, So join us there. Community encouragement on these things. Let's discuss this stuff at our home groups and wrestle it through to application and hold each other accountable. And then one final thing, practical thing as far as what we're doing in the coming weeks. You've heard us mention it before, but next Sunday... And for eight weeks, during Sunday school, we're going to focus all the adult Sunday school classes, youth up, um, to go through a course called Christianity Explored, okay? So next Sunday, all the adults, youth and up, are going to meet either in this room or the one down by the kitchen, okay? There'll be emails this week. You'll get more information if you haven't signed up already. Um, I think it's been in the bulletin, but... Anyway, it's basically a course that goes through the Gospel of Mark, and it answers three questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? We've offered it before on a Wednesday night to reach out to anybody that doesn't know Jesus and wants to explore Christianity. Well, we want all of our church family to experience the course 
because some here might not know Jesus and might not follow him, so that would be a good opportunity to explore what it means. But also, the purpose of this is to expose all of our people to this material so that when we offer it again in April and May, you will have gone through it and you say, I know what that course is like. That would be really great for so-and-so. And I'm going to invite him. My neighbor, my coworker. Because you know what? If you're unfamiliar with something, it's a little risky. You're not sure if, if you want to invite somebody. But if you've experienced it, you're like, yeah, I, I really would love for them to come. So that's one of the purposes. I think also we are going to become more equipped to share the gospel in a clear jargonless way. Oftentimes in the church, we have all these fancy words and we talk to somebody outside the church and they're like, what in the world are you talking about? And we need to understand the gospel clearly and simply and be able to communicate it so it's going to equip us. It also provides some follow-up for the women's tea. We made this available at the tea back in December and there were ladies that signed up with interest, so pray for them. If you have a neighbor or friend that you want to invite to come over the next eight weeks, they're welcome. There's a little card in your bulletin. Do you see it? Christianity Explored. On the back, it's got the address and the dates and the time. Okay, so there'll be more information coming this week, but we want you to know if you want to discipline yourself and grow in your ability and faithfulness to reach out, this is one of the ways that you can practically apply. So we're going to close here by singing um, Let Your Kingdom Come, which is a great prayer, I think, expressing the desire that our heart should be filled with now that the kingdom of Jesus would grow and expand and that the Lord would use us for that to take place. So let's pray and we'll sing and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I pray that you would show us what's really valuable, how precious the gospel is, how precious your grace is, and how precious these souls are that we rub shoulders with day in and day out, many of whom do not know you. And I pray that we would long for them to be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of our beloved Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.